yo, welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm Keith, one of your hosts. And today, Tim, Aaron, and I talk about Spike Lee's new joint, The Five Bloods. Hey, I really hope you guys enjoy this. And also, please feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Low Key Pod. We love to make some new friends. And once again, I hope you guys enjoy. Peace. So, here's the thing about the Five Bloods. <laughs> um, there are flaws in the film, but I actually think it's a really and, and I think most people would disagree with this. I think it's a pretty strong film overall for a bunch of reasons. I think some of the flaws come in some of the general things Spike Lee just can't stop doing in his movies, but I think it's really impactful in demonstrating generational trauma that is impacting two different sets of people from two different total places while the folks who actually created that cycle of violence are not involved or impacted at all. Wow. I'll take that. I, I was a little weirded out by the time of it and I hate to be nitpicky um, because there's this movie is like kind of alternates between absolutely brilliant there's stuff in it that is so good the whole black gi segment is so good and fascinating and there's like musical moments that are incredible obviously the scene where they're all in the bar with the apocalypse now in the background and they're all walking forward is just visually amazing the landmine stuff is all amazing and then there's parts of it where i was just like so bored where i'm just like why why is this whole thing about like opioids in this movie like why are there so many unnecessary details Mm. And I think kind of like Apocalypse Now and kind of like a lot of these older Vietnam movies, we remember them really well because we forget all the parts where people are just like on a river going upstream um, that just are not that interesting. Like we just kind of forget the not interesting parts. I think this movie is going to be better regarded in five years when it's a movie that you turn on and watch for a little bit and turn off and then watch again for a little bit. What about you, Keith? How, how did you view the film? I don't know. I, I think, I think personally, I want. I know when I was first started watching the film, there was somewhere in the middle of it where I was like, I felt myself not being too interested in the beginning because I, I felt like it started off a little slow, and there was something about the pacing that that threw me off. But once it started picking up, and then because I, I feel like it was a it took a moment before we realized within the within the plot what they were planning on doing when they were in Vietnam, right? Um, I think that's re, that's revealed um, when David shows up on the scene, um, Paul's son, and then we find out that they left some gold there, and they're also going to retrieve the the remains of a fallen comrade. Yeah. Um, and then I think. Of of course, we were talking about um, before we even got on the podcast about um, Delroy Lindo's performance as Paul in the film, which to me is probably one of the best things of the whole entire movie, and showing, um, like you said, Aaron, that trauma specifically through um, post post traumatic um, stress syndrome and what that can um, do to a person, and also the the type of trauma that can lead onto their into their offspring, and I don't know. It, it it made me it made me think about you know certain 
men in my life that went to Vietnam and how that affected them and were there they seem um, I really do respect them but sometimes they seem very cut off um, emotionally sometimes Hmm. because of that war well there's even that moment you know where you you could almost like halfway I mean in some ways uh, Spike Lee joint it's hard not to know it's Spike Lee but when you definitely know what Spike Lee is when you got the camera like like a character looking in directly into the camera and giving his um his monologue yeah um and while oftentimes you know I feel like those aren't the strongest parts of his films I thought that that was um you could leave it out you know but I think it did actually it kind of helped drive home thematically what's going on with that character um, and there's a moment where he mentions kind of the, you know, he was, I guess maybe he was talking about some psychiatrist or something, but somebody, he had some sort of malignancy in his heart. And he was like, you know, y'all made me this way. Bring me here. Paul. Yeah. Delray. Yeah. He says, you know, that malignancy you saying that I have in my heart, like, you know, you, you, by bringing me here, the three tours, you made me this way. Yeah. You know, that didn't come out of nowhere. And, you know, I think. For a lot of people, I mean, war is just this really screwed up thing anyway. Um, I don't know enough about the Vietnam War um, to feel comfortable trying to give, like, some breakdown of why it occurred and all that. I mean, from what I feel like I understand, the United States wanted to stop the flow of communism into Vietnam. I don't know... And again, it sounds like one of the things where, like, you know, everybody feels like a war started for some reasons, and then, you know, other people feel like it started for other reasons. But I mean, that's kind of like officially, oftentimes, was brought up. Yeah, it's domino effect and stopping the spread of communism into neighboring countries and it bleeding over into Cambodia, which is completely innocent in the whole thing. Right. And then the Khmer Rouge killing probably two million Cambodians who had nothing to do with any of it. Yeah. And, you know, just. Um, I mean, one thing that also, you know, we'll get into in, in an episode we've already um, recorded for Do the Right Thing. That'll be the next episode that's that's released for the Loki pod. You know, oftentimes Spike Lee films, you know, it doesn't seem like he is it, it is a creative. Um, Spike Lee is not trying to do a, a dual good versus bad or, you know, good versus evil kind of thing. Oftentimes these characters, you know, it, it's a little more complex than that. Yeah. And we see that with all the different characters to some degree. Um, it's interesting seeing, for example, how David has his allegiance to his father and, and does things to, you, you know, you, when you first see him, he's like, oh, dad, you know, you gave you got a one, two, three, four password. Of course I'd break into that. And I want to cut it this, this money. But at the end of the day, what he's really saying is, I want to, I want to be with my father. Yeah, you know, it, it it looks like it's one thing, but it's really this other thing, you know. And um, but then even within that, you know, at least as far as Paul's concerned, he feels like his son betrayed him. He still loves him, you know, clearly as we see at at the end. But you know, the the, the way that PTSD functions and and his 
his identity wrapped up also in in wanting to be treated fairly for the sacrifices that he has so much so that he's working a uh, wearing a Make America Great Again hat the whole damn movie. Um, That's how good Spike Lee is, though, because in a normal movie, he's definitely the bad guy. Like Paul is unquestionably the bad guy, but in this movie, he's one of the people he empathize with the most because he's he has so much depth and he has so much. I, it's probably because Delroy Lena plays him so well. But he just gives him so much character and nuance and shading that you really do sympathize with him, even when he's doing things that would, in a normal movie, be considered wrong. But even like our our primary, you know, people going after the gold. Um, if we just separate, you know, the the black GIs and and the the you know Viet Cong who feel like, or, or you know, the the people, you know, from from you know the country who feel like, you know. That that goal was being paid to, you know, people in Vietnam. That that belongs to us. And at the end of the day, they're all being manipulated again by a Western, per, you know, a white person who's French who just, you know, is yeah. like, well, I'm just manipulating all this for my own means for my own profit. It's the same cycle all over again. A colonist um, who wears a uh, "Make America Great Again" hat at the end. <laughs> well, well, but but you keeping in mind that's the hat that came off of Paul. Of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, that but, was. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that is actually kind of funny putting it that way. Yeah. But then he like takes it off and I think basically spits on it, which is funny. Like even the other colonist doesn't like make America great again. It, it was interesting. That was just like one of the messy, complicated things. Well, everybody who's white talks about the ignorant Americans, you know, like there are no Americans who are white in the film. But all the white people in the film believe Americans are ignorant. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's that's crazy interesting to me. Um, I, I don't even know where to start with it. Although I I, I do think that, you know, I, I I think it's very important in a film like this. And and I'm I'm not like a um, a film buff when it comes to Vietnam movies in any way. I, I don't know how well um, they offer any sort of um perspective from people uh from vietnam but um even just the fact that not only does spike lee show a lot of the things from the surf rights there and some of these images that you know oftentimes we don't show very much but he shows the atrocities of the united states army against those people oftentimes folks who were not even you know in the military and fighting um you know those were I mean, I hadn't seen some of those. I'd seen a good portion of them, but, you know, there was one in particular that they stuck with for a while with a child, um, very, very young infant who had, yeah. um, you know, been uh, murdered by the United States Army. I mean, it's it's really, I mean, that, that's, that's just cra- crazy brutal. There's footage I've never seen before. I used to work with Nick Utt, who took one of the most iconic Vietnam photos, um, you know, there are a couple of horrible Vietnam photos and one is the guy being shot in the street and one is the woman yes. who's just been napalmed. I don't think she's even a, a woman. I think like a child who's just been napalmed. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, and Nick, Nick Ut was one of the great Vietnam War photographers. And even like knowing his work, there was a lot of stuff I'd never seen before. Like he did a really good job of digging up the old footage and bringing it out. And I almost wish there hadn't been a whole gold subplot. Like I know you kind of need a subplot to keep a movie going. Um, I mean, that, that's not even the subplot. That's the plot. Like, you kind of need a MacGuffin of some sort to keep a movie it's going. Much a MacGuffin. 
Yeah, but it's but, like I, I've seen Platoon, I've seen Full Metal Jacket, I've seen Deer Hunter, I've seen Apocalypse Now, um, Born on the Fourth of July. Like I think I've seen a lot of the the classic Vietnam movies, and they're all very white centered, and they're all very like middle class white guy who enlists because it's the right thing to do, which wasn't really the normal Vietnam soldier. I mean, you've got your John Carries, but there's not a lot of them. I mean, and the the statistic they say that it, that black men were or black people were eleven percent of the population and thirty two percent of the soldiers in Vietnam is just so telling about how war works. Right. Yep. I um, I mean, oh, go ahead, Keith. Um, I was uh, I was just um to while we were on the gold conversation, I actually had that conversation with my mother, um, because I told her to watch the movie, so we were talking about it. And she said the same thing you said, Tim, that she feels like um, she could have done without having the whole gold subplot. But then, you know, we kind of came to a conclusion that, like, um, what other reason would they have came back to Vietnam? They wouldn't have just yep. came back to, to, to Barry Norman. I think the other reason you, ha- you I can say you have to have it, but I think why at least the, film, the, excuse me, the way the film is currently um, constructed the way it, it's important is it finds a way to bring in people from Vietnam who also feel aggrieved mm-hmm. and feel like they are owed something. Mm-hmm. And, and they, too, have suffered tragedy. And they're like, I mean, yeah, you're owed something, but so are we. You know? I, I think the whole probably middle part of the movie where they're simultaneously looking for gold and accidentally stepping on landmines because there's this treasure buried, but there's also this nightmare legacy buried and they're side by side is symbolically so incredible and rich. Like there's, it's so dramatically powerful and I don't really track the metaphor except in the middle part of the movie. And I wish I kind of understood it more. I think like, as I watch it again, maybe I'll get it a little bit better, but I just thought there was something there that was, Absolutely incredible. And I thought the way they weaved in the landmine subplot was gorgeous because I didn't really see it coming. Oh, I kept waiting on it to happen because I I, I knew it was going to happen when they introduced that that friendship. Yep. As soon soon as they saw it, I was like, shit, this is going to go real bad, real fast. What is that that called again, Aaron? The gun in filmmaking. I know it. Oh, Chekhov's oh, gun. Che- Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's yeah. gun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, they were Chekhov's gun to me. Yeah. See what I liked is I, I, I thought saw. I thought they were going to serve a different purpose. I thought they were there to show like, oh, these are the silly Europeans and like the legacy of colonialism or something. And the fact that it was landmines, I thought was like incidental, but no, it's completely relevant. And um, I was going to say something else about the gold thing. I I was something just caught my attention. I remember in the film where the um the, the one Vietnamese guy had caught up with them and Paul asked him for his badges and he said, badges, I don't need any stinking badges. Yeah. I'm like, where did I hear that from? And it's from the film, um, the Humpy Bogart film, The Treasure of Sierra Madre. <laughs> and, mm. and and if you look if you look at the actual like description of the film, it's um it's it's about some guys looking for a go- looking for gold it's a, in Mexico in the Sierra Madre Mountains. And what it says, although they discover treasure, they also find plenty of trouble, not only from ruthless bandits lurking in the dangerous Mexican wilderness, but from their own insecurities and greed. 
that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. Like this film playing playing um a homage to this and and I just caught it just kind of clicked in my brain. I'm like, where the hell did I hear that from? So maybe that's another reason why that whole gold subplot was thrown in there. Well, well, but okay, but look, I mean, we're focusing on the present as we talk about that, but keeping in mind the reason the gold even comes up is what happened in the past with with them and, and their tours in the first place, and they were you know running around with um oh my god, like I, now I can't think of his name, the character played Storm and Norman. Storm and Norman. There we go. So look. I mean, he made this speech, and look, whether you buy it or not is this whole other thing, right? But this idea that they're owed something, not just for the military tours, but also um, from their heritage and the bondage of, you know, uh, black American peoples and and that whole, you know, history of of knowing that you're going back and, and not going to you know, look, they don't say this specifically, but knowing that you're not going to have a GI Bill, that yeah. you can get into knowing that people gonna not respect your service because you're black, you know, knowing that your basic rights aren't going to be respected. I mean, there's a lot of subtext in this and a lot of it. I mean, they, they do mention a lot of it, but I, I did think if, if they had mentioned a little more of that people who don't have that in the front of mind would have understood that a little bit more, but really that's what they're speaking to is they know when they return home that, you know, like in the hell, they even said that, like, you know, the the real moment this came up was when Martin Luther King was assassinated and they were having a conversation about we need to go kill these white boys who are also in the army with us. And he was like, look, that ain't that's not gonna we, we need to put our rage somewhere else. And they're clearly, clearly pained by this this thing. And they, they you know, I mean, it, it's a struggle. I mean. If Storm and Norma doesn't have that that sort of respect from them, they probably gonna shoot him dead and gonna do whatever they gonna do. And as Dave Chappelle mentioned in A forty six, you know when stuff was going down with these these police officers who who were being gunned down, it was from black military men. Yeah. So it just I mean look, this is all coincidence in many ways, but. Um, cause who knows all this other stuff's going to go on and protests and all that. This, this film was, was, you know, done. Um, it was in post-production, but I mean, it's, you know, it's all sitting there and this stuff's always bubbling, but it, that, that black frustration and rage oftentimes isn't able to be expressed because when things do happen and people are grieving, their rights are violated. You know, we do all this kumbaya, I forgive you cause I believe in the Lord shit and people aren't allowed to be angry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, what did y'all overall thought about um, the whole Storm and Norman character himself? Like, as a because because I feel like he was a more he was a very well like, almost like a mythic character. Yeah, like, where it's like, do we? is half of the conversations that he had with them were these all true conversations or were these things that they romanticized in their brain? I mean, if all four people are, are saying that, you know, I feel like that's something you... Okay, let's put it like this. The, the idea that he's a great soldier, he kept them alive, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's real. Now, as far as those conversations, I mean, they, they are... The thing is, they're listening to the radio and they are having people 
you know, whether you think these things are like propaganda like or not, like these things are put being put in their ears. And if you have somebody who has some understanding of, of those sorts of politics prior to that, then yeah, that would make sense. I mean, similar to how in HBO's Watchmen, you know, they talked about the Nazi propaganda passed out to black people about how America's treating you terribly. And yeah, we're Nazis, but look what America's doing to you. I mean, we're Nazis, sure, but look at what America's <laughs> doing. They aren't Nazis, so to speak. They, the people don't have a connotation with them, but look how they treat you. They still do what they do. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how that show in 2020 juxtaposed all that to, you know, what's going on today still. You know, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I, I think it's so fascinating to see what I would just describe as black rage being depicted in black art right now between, you know, these two things. Now, the showrunner for HBO's Watchmen is is white. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, is it David Lindelof? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, clearly he, he was a very um, informed person who, who took a lot of direction. Um, and, and people... Um, like Regina King and, and other actors on set and, and other people behind the camera mentioned that, you know, he really did take direction and listen to them on plenty of things. So I, it's just really fascinating to see in 2020 how these things are being expressed in a way where I feel like before that just was not present. Yeah, I mean, not to state the totally obvious, but it is why you need black directors and why you need black writers and you need black representation and not just white people who are going to make Charlie Sheen the face of, you know, Vietnam GIs. Yeah. So, you know, with black lives matter and all this stuff and people do all these platitudes and corporate statements. I mean, at the end of the day, that's great that you put out statements, but you know, things like this would kind of help show and prove like actually allow people to tell their stories and, and have a, a say in, in how those things are depicted and shown. Because I think, honestly, for the most part, when we even as we see this positive movement towards people um, gaining a better understanding of things like police brutality, there's such a monolith for how the frustration and, and fear and and all that is just, is like always couched in like peace, and and that's not a bad thing. But it's almost like people are afraid to tackle the idea that black people are angry. Like every time, for example, we talk about riots, like they always talk about, oh, like, you know, it's almost like savagery out there. Like it's it, it's coached in like a lot of like criminal things. And like now we got to pull out. And why I say that is you see all these people coming, like literally bringing out military to come and deal with peaceful protests, even when that's present. And that's crazy as hell. And I think this film actually does show more honest depictions, even like when we see with, with Paul and just like that, that dichotomy that even just because they don't agree with the fact he would vote for Trump, say, for example, but it, it's it's they respect him as a man and they disagree with his views. But they understand his, his just really harsh frustration. Yeah, there's a lot. There, there's so much to think about with, with all of this. One thing, just to follow up on what you said about rage and like the white reaction to rage and how everything has to be peaceful and everything has to be justified. I was thinking about the Gone with the Wind situation today. Mm. Not to take things off track, but where one platform 
I tweeted about this, one single platform is like, hey, we're not going to show Gone with the Wind for a couple months while we figure out how we want to present it. And that turns into white people who are like, oh my God, first they're taking Gone with the Wind, next they're going to come after John Wick, then they're going to come after... Your guns. And, yeah, and, and it's always like, <laughs> it's always like we can't give them anything because then they'll come for everything, which is just such a fallacious, ridiculous hateful propagandist way of presenting anything, but it's the way that it always seems to go. Yeah. And my other, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it's that slippery slope thing, but what were you going to say? Unrelatedly, the other thing I just kept thinking about during this movie is there's so much conversation now. I forget who said that it's like, we're all in like a remedial class, but the last like three weeks have been like extreme, extremely remedial black studies for, us whites, <laughs> where it's like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff you shouldn't say. And it's like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, no, you definitely shouldn't say that. Like, how did you not know this before now? And one of them is like the whole notion of whether white privilege exists. And one thing that just kept hitting me during this movie that I honestly never thought about before is everybody, including me, whose dad got out of Vietnam for some very mild reason that in itself is white privilege. I mean, I don't know everybody's family history, but my dad got out of it with childhood asthma, and that doesn't happen unless you grew up in a really white suburb. That's and, pretty and, impressive, though. And Donald Trump got out of it with bone spurs, and then yeah, almost got, <laughs> and then almost got recruited by Major League Baseball, according to him. So, <laughs> you know, not a real, not a real reason to not go to Vietnam. That's that's mighty impressive too. But I I might not be here if not for Doctor Childhood Asthma. Yeah, and and speaking of stuff like that, actually, um, let let's take a moment to just kind of talk about each of the individual GIs too. Oh, look, Keith, I think actually, did you have something you want to bring up? No, I was that? just gonna say if that was my asthmatic ass, I would have been in Vietnam. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I love my dad, and my dad <laughs> truly hated the war and truly opposed it and would have gone to jail if it had come to that and counseled other people to get out of the war. I mean, he truly didn't believe in the war. So I'm not saying like my dad was just like a coward or something like that. Donald Trump, I think was a complete coward (laughs) (laughs) with the boat spurs. um, It was not opposed to the war. It just was like, I ain't going. It wasn't a principled stand. It was, I'd have too much money to go to this war. Yep. So out of curiosity, so, you know, I just want to kind of take a moment to talk about each of the GIs. Um, I guess we can start with Otis, um, who is, I guess, the, you know, outside of Storm and Norma, considered the most, you know, uh, respected member of the Five Bloods. Um, what do you guys just kind of think of his character in his arc um, during the film? Or do you feel like he had one? Hmm. I think he was just um, essentially the straight man. You know, at the, at the end of the day, <laughs> I guess it felt like more like um, Del Del Rolando's um, Paul character's story. The, I mean, it's all of their story, but he's you got him Paul that's like um, he's unhinged, and you got um, Otis who's a little bit more laid back, um, a little bit more the person that's supposed to keep the group together 
and make sure everybody has has a cool head throughout thing throughout everything you know um i i thought it was interesting i i've because because we hear this happen before where like certain gis or whatever um, were in vietnam and they had children that they didn't know anything about yeah mm-hmm. so um i thought that was that was cool that they put that in there I thought it was really that that very fast conversation he has with uh, Tian, the the woman who he um, had the child with, um, and and who helped you know kind of get them to the the uh, Roach character to do everything. Also, again, one more time, we had talked about this very quickly before <laughs> uh, the pod. I had no clue that was John Reno. I'm blown away still. That's who it is. I mean, um, look, Keith over here making fun of me. Somebody, what up? Of course, it's just Fat John Reno. I'm like, dude, I can't tell. <laughs> Fantastic performance by him as well. I, I think most performance were really strong. Um, but anyway, getting back to to what we were talking about, um, the the uh, it, it. So this is what made me think about like that that the conflict between these these two different sorts of, of people, um, who. Otherwise, probably don't have much of an interaction with one another beyond this war. But then it gets to a point where, you know, things happen. People are killing each other. They end up having these views about one another. But then there are people, individuals within that whole process who do have intimate moments and do care for one another. And then there are children who come from that. And they, they are calling those children cockroaches. Yeah. Like, that's that's like, I, I don't you know if I've heard anything that ugly. Um, about you know children who happen to have mixed lineage. I mean that is insane. But you know for people who are present there, and, and Spike Lee showing the the, I mean just the pain that those soldiers caused, though those visceral images and like I said, many that I don't even know have just been circulated very much or seen prior to this film. I mean holy shit, man! Like how. It's not in any way okay what they say about those children or, or other sorts of people or people calling it other folks by the G word and all that. But, but I mean, there has to be so much animosity, man. Like, I mean, that's insane. I, I just, I can't imagine calling children that. Yeah. Yeah. There's... One thing that got me about the movie is that it takes place now. I kind of wish this had come out in about 1988, and I understand why it didn't. I mean, there wasn't really a Spike Lee in 1988. The only Spike Lee was Spike Lee, and he was very young, and he'd only made two movies at that point. He hadn't even made Do the Right Thing yet. He wouldn't have had a budget for it either, or probably yeah. even the chops to do this the way he did it here. I, I just I wish this movie could have come out earlier, because I feel like for it to come out now, some of this stuff has been covered in other movies. And I kept getting pulled out where I was like, why is he just now going back to meet his like probably 40-something-year-old daughter? Um, why are they just now going back for this gold when they're at retirement age? But Well, I, again, I, I just think that that's just probably... I want to come back to that because I think there's, a, there's something about that in particular that's super interesting to me, but I want to come back to that after we talk about the other two GIs. So just real quick, oh, let's, yeah. let's uh, talk about Eddie and Melvin, um, starting with Eddie. Um, and Eddie being the the you know one saying, oh, I got the black card and I can pay for everybody's stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out, you know, he, he's broke and, and you know, made some bad life choices and, and 
he's out there talking about, oh, the money isn't super important. We can just give it out to the the causes for our people and all that. Like, what what do you guys just think of him as a character overall? And he was the one also taking all the photos everywhere too. He was a likable dude. It was sad. I mean, the way he went out was like, God. Yeah, and also he was the one trying to keep the peace with everybody and say, I was just trying to get the bloods to love each other again and this and that, and y'all acting like this, fighting over, over gold. And... <sighs> I don't know, man. But I knew something was going to happen because I had it was shooting it. I felt like we were having, right before it happened, a, 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 a deep blue moment. <laughs> oh, oh, deep, well, what was that? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like I, I'm, I didn't get the name right because all I hear is LL Cool J in my head going deep as blue as my heart is like a Sharks fan I've never seen this movie but doesn't Samuel Jackson have a very bad ending yeah man you gotta watch that movie that's, that's <laughs> an entertaining ass movie but yes yes it's we're not gonna fight movie. anymore I mean it's literally the same <laughs> you know what I think I think Deep Blue Sea is probably the only, I guess somewhat type of horror film where a black guy survives at the end it is and he's the only person that survives. Even the white, even the white woman gets killed. Wait, is he really the only? Hey, man, hold up. Tim ain't seen this. Anyway, look. Is, is LL the only survivor? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's keep going. So Eddie. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> so all right, what do you think of Eddie? <laughs> um, Spoiler was, alert! Look at that spoil he was, deep blue. He was the most, <laughs> um, <laughs> he was the most memorable character in the whole film, I guess, for me. Um, and he was also the character that, he probably one of the only ones that I kind of thought was going to die from the from the beginning. I feel like if somebody's going to die, it's going to be that guy right there. The rich person? I mean, wh- why him? Well, it, I felt like he didn't have as much screen time or as much screen presence as everybody else. Okay. And usually that person is honestly played off to be expendable in most cases. So um, I expected him to go anyway, uh, but then, but then once once I, I saw, you know, I mean, spoiler to everybody. I'm I'm sure everybody, you know, know that this is a straight up spoiler movie um, review. But once Paul went, I was like, yeah, yeah, pretty much anybody can go at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Melvin, look, I, you know. <laughs> It's funny because you, you can't tell if they if they're doing head fakes with you in the script. Like like if I were just reading this in the script, and Melvin goes, "Look, man, yeah, it's great that you know we talking about this black soldier who jumped on a grenade for everybody, but I wouldn't do that shit." I'd be like, <laughs> uh, is that a death flag? I see. You know what I loved? <laughs> what I loved is when he did jump on the grenade. It wasn't like super dramatic. It wasn't like no. It was distinct. Yeah, it yeah. was just like very contained and like heroic and simple. Right. Yeah, and and I mean he 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 didn't hesitate. He knew the sag. I mean, and and he did it knowing. I mean, like that wasn't going to be the end all be all. The person who was going after him was still alive. You know what I mean? Um, he made that sacrifice. Um, oh, man, that was that was. I, I felt really bad about his death. Cause I was like, damn, like this is that guy he said he didn't want to go. Shit. Yeah. Um, but it was it was also like one of those things, like he did it purely, almost purely off instinct. Well, and the thing that twice about it. One thing that was so cool and fucked up too was like once these GIs who hadn't been killing nobody for all this time, once it was time, 
Yeah, it just, it just turned back on. They were, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. so, I mean, and, and Melvin was so lazy, the whole movie. It was just so funny. He was like, I ain't carrying the gold. And I, you know, he was like, y'all can dig and all this shit. But, like, when it when it came down to it, I mean, he, he, he was down for his guys. But actually, I want to, I think this is the perfect moment to uh, maybe make this last topic and, and talk about the idea of them coming this late. And also just the decision to not really use any sort of um, CGI aging for these guys in most of the scenes where we see them back in Vietnam. Like, what did you guys think of that decision? Um, I didn't like it at first until I watched through the entire movie. Mm, I was I the same way. Like- I felt like at that point I knew what he was doing or I was hinted towards what he was doing and the idea and the concept of that they're, they're still there in their yep, mind. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's how I read it too. I thought that was yeah. really... Because uh, I was like, why the fuck are they not like making them look young here? They did it the very, very end for a picture. But I was like, right. I, I didn't get that. Like, you know, for like the first hour and a half and then I was like, oh, okay, like they and even like the way they talk, they still talk like they would have back then. Like a lot of phrasing and 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 you know, kind of lexicon. It's very similar still. Like they, they are still like talk like they're hip young people. And then when I saw them like turn immediately back into those killers, I said, "Oh shit, they're still there." Oh yeah, yeah, they didn't go anywhere. And, yeah. and maybe maybe also like being back in that space is symbolic too. To them, just reverting back into warriors again. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of crazy, even when you think about it, that the granddad actually killed somebody. Some mm-hmm. people. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. my granddaddy killed people. Like he yeah. had a name. They called him Jungle Jim. Well, that's what he said they called him. In mm-hmm. Vietnam. Actually, that sound kind of racist. Not I say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. Was it was it an all white platoon because. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, it was all white. That's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the story behind it that 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 they that it was like I think some white guys gave him the name, and he just embraced it or something like that. <laughs> but then when we heard him talk about it, I was like, I don't think that's like a badge of honor to wear. But okay, um, but it's just it's just kind of crazy just to think that they went through that, you know. And at 17, like, these these were kids. Yeah, like, yeah. that's the thing. They were kids. Yeah. Like, that's what's so wild. Like, it's... it's. They couldn't even... They they weren't even able to legally drink. You know? So, it's, it's crazy. I thought about that today with people talking about boomers. Where it's like, yeah, we make fun of boomers, but a lot of boomers had to do some horrible shit. Right. Yeah, man. I don't know. It, it's we just forget. I mean, hell, think about how long. I mean, speaking of boomers and shit, but all the stuff that's been going on since nine eleven, people oh, yeah. come home. Yeah, you know, still people. I mean, and we've seen some movies like American Sniper getting to some of that, right? But um, and Jarhead. I think I know there are others that, and I'm not, you know, they're not hitting my head immediately, but um. Even just seeing those experiences, man, like it's jarring. And I, I mean, and I, I don't, I know people personally who are often and you know um, deployed now, and you know, you, you, um, some of them have adjusted um, to life back 
better than others, but um, I don't like prying if they don't want to volunteer information, you know? Yeah. I think um, also war is always terrible. I think we can all agree to that. But I think the way that people engage in war um, battles and everything is completely different than what it was in World War One and World War Two. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and part partly like when you think of Vietnam, for example, when nobody wearing no uniforms, like you didn't yeah. know who were the enemies and who were like the citizens. Well, I mean, but that's why they were justifying slaughtering entire villages, you know. Ex- exactly, and it, and there's no justification to that. But just think what that what that does to your mind. You don't know who the enemy is. A child could walk up to you with an M16 and blow your brains out. Yeah. Or like yeah. in or like in certain places in the Middle East where they'll strap bombs to children and they come running up running up to your squad. It's like I don't know, it's just a lot that people have to deal with. Not that I mean, all the other wars were terrible, but it's something I guess more psychological about war now. Well, but also just, I mean, the thing that sucks most, too, is oftentimes these are like proxy wars. Yeah. A war is like, for the sake of like some kind of philosophical bullshit, you know? And it's kind of hard to even understand like materially why we're there or why we're even present in certain places. But like, it's like to maintain peace or spread democracy. It's like, man, what the hell does that even mean? And like, why do we have to make those sacrifices? Can't you find some other way to to meet these these means? I mean, it, when you look at everything as a zero sum game, and you don't consider the human cost, I mean, there's just so much that gets lost in that. And um, you know, we haven't had anything on our shores in so long. I just feel like many people have kind of lost sight of the the totality and the value of of you know other people who aren't directly known to us, you know, has some direct connection to us. It, it's really it's really terrible, man. But um, I really do feel like this, like, I mean, this movie's not perfect by any means. I, I do feel like it's one of Spike Lee's, you know, better films in many ways, at least, you know, what it attempts to accomplish. And I do appreciate, too, that they presented that version of, of uh, MLK that is um, not just all on this, you know, tip of, you know, peace, just really, peace, really, peace, peace. Well, I mean, what he's preaching is peace, that we shouldn't be fighting, right? That's why I kind of hesitate to say peace, but just like this thing that he was, um, there's a reason right prior to his death, he was the most hated man in America, at least according yeah. to polls. Yeah. Yeah. The, the notion that he was nothing but I have a dream. And that he was nothing yeah. but let's all unite. And that he wasn't involved in opposing the war in Vietnam and fighting for workers' rights and any of the very risky, very unpopular things he was involved in that he doesn't really get credit for because it's not, you know, convenient and pleasant. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just so much more than that. And I, I appreciate what this movie is able to accomplish on that front and just share so many things. I mean, I think one of the flaws of the film though, is, you know, it, it relies a lot on, on uh, some of the, the different um, soundtracks in a way of, of the times that I don't think it necessarily has to do. Or like, for example, there are even those moments where like the GIs are, are singing Marvin Gaye 
and they don't even have the track. And I was almost in some ways, I feel like this more impactful. Oh, you know? that part's beautiful when he sings. Um, what, yeah, when he sings "What's Going On" with acapella without the track, without any backing yeah. track or anything. Yeah, that, that's always a great track. Yeah. That's amazing. And even when um, Paul prior to his death, I forgot what song he was singing. It's a gospel song. Yeah. About again, God forgive me your sins, even though you've done all. Oh, hey, one thing we have to talk about shit before we close. I don't know how we didn't get to this. Um, <laughs> Storm and Norman's death. Yeah, I gotta admit, like it, it was. You know, it's it's they lay the groundwork for it. I mean, the foundation is definitely there. And if you were paying attention, you know, you would have noticed. But um, I was still surprised by it, and and it, it helped makes so much more sense and in some ways it's kind of tragic i mean in, in some ways it's tragic that other people don't know what happened but in other ways it's better you know i think my biggest thing and that's why i was bringing back bringing up the point of storm and norman being like this mythic type of character to them like almost like an action hero like a black action hero that's how i felt like he was depicted mm-hmm. and for him to to die the way that he died by friendly fire to me shows that there's there's no you you cannot glorify war pretty much. Yeah. Yep. You cannot make it look pretty. You cannot make these people. I mean, they're heroes, but it's 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 tragic because that happened a lot where especially yeah. in Vietnam where there was a lot of friendly fire. So it's like you could have been the just think you the best soldier ever and you get shot by another GI by mistake. And that was like a reality. But then we watched certain movies, like we watched Rambo because he was pretty much like a black Rambo almost in a sense. Yeah, Storm and Norman. uh Norm and Norman, yeah. He even had like a name that kind of evokes that type of feeling and that type (laughs) of emotion. But he dies in the most realist but unceremonious way. And and in a way no one will ever know about. And, yeah. and the thing is, it, it shows too. I mean, I don't know because that's the thing. Paul, I was like, you know, like I, I was like, man, he he has PTSD, and I get like, why the fuck he's so messed up out of everybody? Yeah. But he can never take because that's why he's like, man, I, I ain't doing no sitting around talking with some folks around the circle shit. Fuck that. I was like, why? Like, why is he? And again, like, it, it's. I, it, it was believable to me, but I was like, oh, we don't get to know why he's like that. And I was like, oh shit, that's why. Holy shit. Right. Yeah, that's why he'll never talk to nobody about it. I mean, who would want to? And I, I mean, I never had honestly even considered that, that, you know, kind of circumstance for soldiers and, and that that does happen. And that hurt my heart, man. That, that sucks. You were, if you, it happened a lot in Vietnam. Yeah. Like, that was very common. I mean, it, it occurred to me immediately after seeing it, you know? I, I just felt for Paul because watching it as just a, you know, third-party audience member, like, I couldn't be less involved. I'm just watching it on a screen. It really wasn't his fault. I mean, yeah, he, he just reacts so instinctively and trying to protect himself and Norman and... And yeah, the thing is, he probably he probably would have given his, if if he had seen it, he would have given his life for Norman before he killed Norman. That's what sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's 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 um, 
Man, that that is. I mean, and I don't know if other war movies that I'm just not thinking of have mentioned that as like a particular trauma for a character because he's like Storm. Norm talks to me every night, you know. And it's like that he just carries that shit every right. fucking day. And there's no such thing. Even if he carries that gold home and is able to trans, you know, do something to turn it into dollars and then put in some account all this shit, he's never ever ever going to be able to find peace. Right. And I, and, 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 until Norman, he feels like he 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 is forgiven. You know what I mean? But it's also, I think there's that that trauma of that. There 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 is that, and I also think that it's like it could have been him. Yes. In, in that way. And he like, would have rather it had been him. He may have, but it's also kind of traumatizing if it was, and then his body gets left there in Vietnam. Damn. Because, yeah. I mean, because that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you think about it, like, okay, he was, to them, they kept saying he's like the greatest soldier, the greatest warrior ever. Like, he's that guy. And you remember when Paul had his whole little monologue, he goes into this whole thing about how you cannot kill me. I choose when and where I die. Or how how and and where I die. Exactly. And I feel like he, he has to keep telling himself and convincing himself that because he knows how Norman died, how the greatest amongst them had died. And he know that that could have been him. So now he has this sense, almost a sense of like, I can't be touched. Or you telling yourself that you can't be touched, but actually having the fear that you could have just died, just not even really in, I mean, it was in battle, but like by in an accident. But that's why he's so impacted about what happened to David, too. Right. Feeling like, I mean, because at the end of the day, David is into Haiti or Haiti or whatever her name is. But, and, and, you know, and I'm only saying it that way because I'm not certain about how to, how to pronounce her name properly. Oh, yeah, his son. Haiti like the American film star, Haiti Lemar. Yes. That's no so problem. much better than I could have done with a no totally butchered any sort of, uh, <laughs> any sort of uh, joking about that. But, um, the idea that his son wouldn't be loyal to his word, really, like he felt like he was being betrayed. Oh, and I thought you was, I thought you were talking about something else. I thought no, you were no, talking no. about the fact that his birth caused the mother to die. Oh, well, yeah. there's that. There's all that too. But like, just this this idea that his son willingly went against something that he ordered him to do as they were having like you know bonding moments and stuff and it's like he already was concerned that something might happen with the bloods that they wouldn't be loyal and and focus on the missions particularly with otis because he felt like otis was focused on tn so much and trusted her when she set them up um you know and that's in his head right but um he he just has so many he just feels like he can't trust people. Like even if it's just by incident, anything could happen that like takes you out. You know, you you gotta always be on your p's and q's. You can't be bullshitting and taking chances. Like because they ain't ready. Because remember how he's like, you know, well, Paul ready. Everybody else ain't ready. They, I was born for this. They weren't born for this. All this kind of shit, right? And um, I don't. I mean, it's it's man. I don't know that I, that character really got to me, man. I I really I just thought it was it was uh. I ain't seen a performance like that in a while, um, and I just, I, man, give give him all the damn awards, man. Like I don't, I don't know who else is is doing some some peak performance shit, but Delray Lindo deserves our our praise, man. Like he yeah. he crushed that. 
Yeah. I told you he was acting like he'll never act again. <laughs> Seriously, man. Like he like he'll never get another job. Like he like, I'm about to show these motherfuckers. Right we need now. we need we that that need to be the, the tweet to go with this episode. He was acting like he'll never <laughs> act again. Shit. That that was amazing, man. I I man, props, like for real. I mean, I've seen him plenty of stuff and, and have enjoyed those performances too, but I mean he really showed out right here. But uh, yeah, I think this look. We we went past what we <laughs> told ourselves we were gonna uh, go for when we started the episode. But I mean, I I think this film, you know, is worthy of that conversation, and I'm I'm happy that that we chose to watch this and and cover it, you know, it, during these times. I th- I think it, it just so happened to hit a, a really interesting landmark moment socially in in the U.S. and uh, I, I think it it's um, gonna hit the mark with a lot of people. Yeah, number one movie on Netflix right now. Good. I hope, hope that continues for a bit. I hope yeah. people get to really watch it, appreciate it, and, and you know, uh, get something from it. I mean, Aaron, you've said it a couple times, but Netflix doing a really nice job lately. Yeah, man. I don't, man. You know, look, here's the thing. I feel like we need to be reaching out to Netflix for a sponsorship or some shit. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of Netflix, baby. Uh, they, don't, they don't need us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah, but, but they've been doing a great job. The hell out of Netflix. Hey, Baki <laughs> was pretty good too. Now you're ranking on some of that, but that anime, their most recent anime season of Baki was pretty good. Hey. Well, you mad because Muhammad Ali Jr. got beat up? Nah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't. Ooh, well, spoilers. Okay, oh, damn, we just put spoilers <laughs> everywhere. Well, I mean, since you, I was just, I could, I can get past season one. I don't like the artwork. I don't like how muscular the characters look. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, yeah, yeah. I it's a little too much. You, you caught up on the wrong stuff. Watch season three. But um, <clears throat> yeah, skip skip the second season. Go and watch season three if you want. But anyway, before we get into like a large tangent, um, thank y'all for joining <laughs> and getting this far with us. We really, really appreciate it. Please like and review, share with friends, even if it's just one person. Let them know about the pod. Um, we'll be aiming to going forward publish an episode every Thursday. So please, please, please look out for us on those days for the latest and greatest uh, conversations on what's going on in, in Hollywood and other, you know, parts of the medium. Cool. Cool. And follow us on social as well. Low key pod, Instagram, uh, Keith Williams. Else am I forgetting right now? Brains, brain freezing. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, we'll, we'll do more later. We, we, we catching up. But yeah, please follow us. Do all that jazz. And, um, and you know, share with friends, please. Cool. Cool.